You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. We thank you, God, for the opportunity again to come and worship you, God. We're, God, we throw off. God, we throw our caution to the wind, God, as we chase after you and, and seek only to worship and please you, God. And God, I pray, God, that as, this, as we've had worship, God, to, to soften our hearts, remind us of why we come here to sing before you, God. Pray, I pray that the word of God will continue to convict and soften our hearts, God, as we look into your word and, and see what it is that you would have us to, to um, essentially glean, I mean, to, to chew on for this week, Lord. And I pray, God, that whatever be said, God, that it not be said, God, for for any other gain except for your glory in Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As you, as you, um, as you um, sit down, if you would, grab your Bibles, and if you would, turn to the book of Mark. As many of you guys are familiar, we are going through the book of Mark. Um, we are in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We continue to see this in Mark. And when you get to Mark chapter 6, I want to start at verse 30. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. When you have it, say amen. Amen. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Um, I'll be reading from the New New American Standard. um, And follow along as your translation allows you. And here's what it reads. It says, And the apostles gathered with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And they said, and he said to them, him being Jesus, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and there were not even, and they did not even have time to eat. Verse 32 says, then they went away in a boat secluded to a secluded place by themselves. Verse 33, then the people saw them, I mean, saw them going, and many recognized them, and they ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it, had already grown, when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and it's already quite late. And I mean, then, I mean, send them away that, he, <clears throat> that they may go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he, being Jesus, answered them, you give them something to eat. And then they said, and, and they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread to give them something to eat? Verse 38 says, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them to all sit down by groups on the green grass. And they sat in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up towards heaven. He blessed the food and he broke the loaves and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided them up, I mean, up the two fish among them all. And they were all, I mean, they all ate and they were satisfied. And they picked up 12 full baskets and the broken pieces and also of the fish. And there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, bless the word of, bless your word as it's been read, as it's been read. And God bless those who hear it. God, may your word make sense, God, in this sermon. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, as we read this story, just to kind of give you a background, we see that Jesus is, we see that Jesus had already sent his disciples on their first preaching mission. And so they're all fired up. They come back and they start reporting to Jesus about all the good things that had happened on, on, their, on their time of their preaching mission. But then as they come back and they try to share the thing that they've done with Jesus, I mean, what they've done and report to Jesus, they realize that although they've served a lot of people who are out there, there's still steadily more people coming. And the scene is actually beginning to be a bit overwhelming in the fact that as people are, people are coming and going so much and they're having, and Jesus and the disciples are interacting with people so much so 
that as they're interacting and doing ministry, they don't even have time to eat, right? So they're in this place where they're doing a lot of great ministry and it's all, and it's all going just great. But then there comes a point where even Jesus looks and he says to them, he believes that they need to take some time, to, they need to take a break and they need to be secluded and they need to take a rest from everybody. And so they, what they decide to do and what Jesus decides to do is he decides that they should get on a boat and go to the other side to seclude themselves from all the other people. Well, the people happen to recognize who they are, see them, and because the people had already followed them from cities from far and wide, they decided to keep following the, they decided to keep following the disciples. Instead, they didn't follow him on boat, they followed him on land. And so as Jesus and his disciples are in the boat and they're making their way across the Sea of Galilee, you have the people who are going around the sea trying to beat Jesus' boat and the disciples' boat so they can meet them and say, please, we need to see more. We, we got to see more. We want to know more, right? And so when this happens, remember, the disciples are already tired. They've already spent a lot of their time fulfilling preaching missions and doing all the things that God has sent them out to do, and they just had their first big assignment. And so when they get to the other side, Jesus gets out of the boat and he notices the masses who are standing there and they're waiting for God, I mean, for Jesus and, and for Jesus to do another miracle and speak. And so this passage tells us something very specific. And I want to go back and look at it in verse 34. It says that when Jesus saw the large crowd, it says that he felt compassion upon them. He felt compassion upon them. In fact, not only did he feel compassion, but he felt so much compassion that he felt moved to do something. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. So what today what we want to spend some time talking about what it means to be compassion, compassionate. And we want to talk about what it means to be stirred by compassion to do good things. Um, and how many of you guys have read the book, The Purpose Driven Life? How many of you guys have read that book? Right? Well, you know, in that book, the author Rick Warren tells us that there are certain things that shape us and make us who we are, and they make, and they are, and it's basically God customizing who we are for a certain mission, for a certain God-given mission, which he's purposed to us from the beginning. Amen? And so one of the things that we learn now, now of course, when you, he also has an acronym in his book for what's called SHAPE, but I won't go through that specifically. But what I want to do is I do want to look at one part of what Rick Warren says is the shape, your, your personal customized shape for your life, and that is your heart. Now, with your heart, you gain what's called, with your heart is what you use to define what you're passionate about. Now, the thing is, when we define when we, def when we look at what passion is, we look at, that, we look at it as being something that, it's something that you wake up thinking about, you go to bed thinking about, in, you spend all your day, you spend a, a majority of your time thinking about that one thing, right? And that's what you call your passion. But the thing is, to actually, when you, to actually have passion, to have passion about something, you must become compassionate towards the masses. You see, when God calls you into a certain purpose, your God-customized purpose, God gives you a passion, a heart, a burden for people in whatever walk of life you're in. You're in. Now, when God gives you a pat, when God calls you to something, he's going to make sure that you're compassionate for the people he wants you to reach out to. Amen? And the definition of compassion in Webster's Dictionary is simply this. It's, it's this idea of having concern for the sufferings and the misfortunes of others. You see, because once again, when you're called in the service, God has to make sure that you have a compassion so that you're able to serve others. But the question becomes, how do you figure out what's mean? What, how do you figure out where your passion lies and what your compassion about? Well, just to give you a brief hint about things you can figure out where your passion lies and what you're compassionate about is number one. Think about, think about these questions. What stirs you to do good deeds? Like what, 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 when you see certain things going on in life, what stirs you and moves you to do good deeds for people? When you watch the evening news, and I know that that can, be a, that can be an exercise of futility at times because of all the bad news, but tell me this, when you see certain bad news stories on the television, what stirs your heart? Maybe it's children. 
Maybe it's people who are less fortunate. Maybe it's people who are poor. Maybe it's somebody who is going through a struggle. Maybe it's even something tied to your life experience. How many, how many, maybe if you guys, maybe the compassion that you're supposed to have is tied to something you've experienced in life. And so because you've experienced this thing in life, you hate to see other people go through it. And so you're compassionate toward those individuals. Well, I know that when you answer those questions about understanding what drives you to good, do good deeds and what, tug, what tugs at your heart and what life experience have shaped and mold who you are, you'll probably look in there and you'll find what you're compassionate about. Now, corporately as a body of Christ, we are called, we are commanded to reach and share God's word with a lost and dying world in need of a savior, amen? But as we, but as we do that, we should know that the words that we share of the gospel are the most important words that we give people, but we also need to share those words with compassion. We need to share the word of God with compassion. We don't want to share those words. We don't want people to just, we don't want to just um, feel for people. We want them to be, we want to be moved to action just like Jesus was. And so what we're going to do today is in this, in this story of the feeding of the 5,000, we're going to look at the fact that we see that Jesus was compassionate. He felt compassion upon the crowds, but he didn't just feel compassion. Compassion actually stirred him to do something. And so the title of this sermon is called Stirred by Compassion. So now as we go into our, as we look at our verses, we've already, we've already set the background and we've already looked at what God, I mean, we've already looked at the background and we already see that God is, I mean, Jesus is being compassionate upon the crowds. What I want to do today is I want to just share with you a very simplistic message. I want to share with you that the idea of that, listen, for us to do real ministry, we've got to have compassion upon people. And compassion shouldn't just be this thing where when we see people and we feel, it should be what we see, we feel, and then we act. And so what I want to do is share with you just from, the script, just from these scriptures alone about when Jesus saw and he felt compassion, what it led him to do. Now, the first thing that we see in the passage is this. When Jesus gets off the boat, we see that Jesus looks at the crowd and he immediately says, it says that he felt compassion and it says that he felt compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them. And so when the first thing we realized that compassion should stir us to do, compassion should stir you to lead other people. Compassion should stir you to lead other people. You see, as Mark records this, we see the story, I mean, this story, but we see that he makes this comparison once again, that the people are like sheep and that they're sheep without a shepherd. And we see that this is probably, this seemingly is a good comparison because you have people who've wandered from cities on out into the countryside. And the, and the basic assumption there is that they want, they want to see more of Jesus. They want to hear more of Jesus. They want to hear his words. They want to be led. You see, Jesus looks at them wandering aimlessly out in the countryside and he makes the assumption that they need to be led and they need to be taught. And there's two reasons, and I think there's, and I believe there's two reasons why Jesus does this. Number one is there's a hunger to be led. You see, most of us are here because we realize that there is a deficit in our lives and we want Jesus to lead us into the path of righteousness. Amen. Now, we live in a very individualistic society that tells us, you do what you want, you do it how you want, but hey, as long as you don't question what I do. But the reality is this, even in an individualistic society that says that I want to do my own thing in my own way, in reality, we're looking for leaders. I mean, think about it. You, got, you have people who, when they, when they have viewpoints, they take viewpoints because somebody, a celebrity or somebody of pop culture said so. Right? We also, we, and, and, you may think, and you may not think of this as being, this is, to me this is very subtle, but I still think it's very telling. Even with social media, we usually retweet people to keep, we usually retweet people basically to kind of share what our ideals are without people getting on us, right? It's like he said it, not me. But that's, in reality, we want to be led. We want somebody to speak for us, don't we? We want to be led. In the, beginning of, in the beginning of the book, of, in, the, um, in the beginning of the Bible, we see that when God starts off with creation, yes, he makes all these things in creation, but one of the first things he starts to set is order. He sets order. 
he sends Adam. He gives Adam responsibility. And then as the rest of creation is beginning to be, I mean, coming into fruition, he charges Adam with leading these people, right? So there's a structure there. We all want to be led to some degree. And not only that, we want a spokesman. We want somebody to convey our feelings because sometimes people have trouble figuring out what to say and how to say it. We all want someone to lead us. People want to hear the truth, but they're not sure where to get it from. And so that's why people wander and they, they listen to all these different things that are on the internet. They, they read all sorts of books. They quote all sorts of people. They look in all sorts of genres to find people and things that, that are relative to how they feel and what they think because people want to be led. You see, Jesus saw that people have a desire, not only our hunger to be led, but then he also saw that there's a danger when you're not being led by something. You see, crowds, even in all their infinite wisdom, crowds can be fickle, right? You know, have you ever been in a place, have you ever been sitting in a meeting or a place where everybody's talking at the same time, right? It's quite, this is probably the most confusing thing and probably the most chaotic thing you could ever, you can ever have, right? But everything starts to come to a structure and order when somebody gets up and they call the meeting to order or they tell everybody to settle down or, or they make everybody, you know, you know, make everybody take turns, right? There is something about structure, right, that God sees that he thinks is something that we need to have. We have a desire to be led, and there's a danger when we're not being led. And not only are crowds fickle, but crowds are also vulnerable. We have to be careful because sometimes we follow, we follow the crowd and maybe they have the right idea, but there are times when we follow the crowd and they're leading to our doom. You see, Crowds make you, crowds are usually vulnerable, right? How many of you guys have heard the story of Jim Jones? Okay. For those of you who haven't heard, I'll give you the short, the short version. Um, Jim Jones was a, I, I, um, I, I kind of cringe to call him a preacher, but, um, but yeah, but he was a, a preacher on a, whatever you want to call him, who basically was leading a cult. And so he was leading a cult out in um, on coastal California. Well, his dream was that, he, would, um, he gained all these followers, and he had a massive amount of people who came and followed him, right? And his dream was to one day basically isolate these people, right, in a place that he eventually called, if I'm not mistaken, Jonestown, and it was off the coast of Africa. Well, eventually, you know, as Jim Jones, is, is, is his plans are recognized, and as you recognize this man's a false prophet, and he's a cultic, and there are so many things going on, he basically um, plots a scheme where he gets everybody to drink um, poison and kill them all. And so, um, I'm, and I'm giving you the very short version, but the long story is this, is that all these, he had hundreds of people, thousands of people in a very vulnerable place where they were following this man's word and they were hanging on everything he said and they quoted him and they loved him, but yet he had, he didn't have their best interests in mind. And so because they chose to follow anything, it led to their death but when we choose to follow righteousness. And that's why Jesus is stepping up and deciding to teach because he knows the danger and what it means when you're not being led. You see, thankful to, you see, you know, when I think about, when I think about what it means to be led, I always think about this one story in my personal life. Um, as many of you may have heard me tell the story in the pulpit is that um, my mom and dad, they were, they separated when I was 16. And so because they separated when I was 16, um, a lot of things were happening in between that I never really counted on. And one of the things that I, I didn't count on happening was the fact that at the time I was between 16 and 17, I was making a lot of major life decisions. Everything from where I would go to college and how I would choose to live my life. And the, and the hard part about all of that was the fact that at a very, at a very pivotal time in my life, um, my father wasn't, right, wasn't there. Now, my dad was, was the number one role model in my life up until that time. And because he was there, I had plenty of great guidance. My dad, I, I always feel like my dad is a very wise man. Um, but then as I came 16 and my mom and my dad split, I lost that role model to some degree. And there was a rift between, and there became a rift between me and my father because of the separation between him and my mother. Now, as I was doing, now as this was going on, I'm 16, and, I'm 16 going on 17 thinking, you know, I'm pretty mature for my age. I'm thinking to myself, I got life figured out. I'm thinking to myself, 
I can pretty much handle most of the decisions in my life. But thankfully, God didn't think that, <laughs> okay? Thankfully, God didn't think that. And so in the midst of the time where I was vulnerable and I could have fallen for anything and I could have gone off and done some craziness in my teens, the Lord saw fit to put somebody in my life who would be a, def- who would be a very pivotal, defining, and helpful mentor to help lead me and point me to Christ. And that person was Pastor Carl Johnson, my first mentor. Now, through, through patience, through grace, through godliness, through, man, all of my problems, this man saw fit to disciple me, to mentor me, to share, me, to share with me about how life is, and to help me make some major decisions in my life. And so when I, look at it, when I looked at it then, I didn't think of it as a big deal because I thought to myself, I'm, you know, I'm me and I can make great decisions and I'm mature enough. But then I realized as I look back, even in my 20s and now in my 30s, I look back and I see, the, I see the grace and the hand of God working in my life that at a very pivotal time in my life, God put somebody in my life to help lead me and point me in the right direction. And the funny thing about all of that is this, is that without, this, without me submitting to leadership and submitting to lordship, all the things that I have in life that I, that I enjoy now, I probably wouldn't have. You know, number one, salvation, the greatest gift I could ever have because this man led me to Christ. Number two, my wife, because it was through the, the same discipleship group that I met my wife, and now that we ha- now we're married and have a family. Um, also, because he was one of the people who helped me to explore this idea that one of the, my purpose in life was possibly to be a shepherd. Without this person helping to lead me and guide me when I didn't think I needed guidance, showed me that I needed leadership, even when I think I had it all together. And so my point, so my point in saying all these things is this, as the church, if we don't lead people, others will. We have to be committed. And, and listen, I'm not saying about following us as a church blindly. I'm talking about us as, Jesus, as believers in Jesus going out and compelling people to come in and, point, uh, and, and us pointing them to him. Amen? You see, because if we don't lead, if, if, you're, if you feel compassion upon people and you see their plight, but it does not move you to lead others and compel others, then if you don't, who will? Because others will turn the tables and they will lead people to their own, to their own agendas. Number two, as we keep reading, we, we're looking, um, as we look in verse 35, we see that we know that the, the, um, the scene sets to where Jesus has been teaching all day and then eventually it becomes quite late in the day. And so all of a sudden, there arises a need, right? There arises this need where people, there are over 5,000 plus people who have followed Jesus out in the countryside with no money, right? With no money, not many resources maybe, right? And now they're hungry. Well, when the disciples look at this, you know, they're, they're a good church committee, so I'm just kidding. Um, but anyway, they, they come together, they look and they, and they look and they say, man, it's getting late. People are hungry. We need to send them away so they can go get something to eat. But now keep in mind that as they, they're thinking to themselves, now here, and I want, and I want to make sure, we give, we make sure we put this in the right context. Remember, the disciples had already been out on the first preaching mission. They were, they were high on life. They were celebrating with Jesus. They were tired. Jesus was trying to get them to the other side because it had been a long day and they needed some time to, to themselves. And then Jesus gets out the boat and he continues the preaching session, right? Or the teaching session, right? So it's getting late and they're thinking, whoo, Jesus, yeah, man, I tell you, man, the, man, I mean, you know, it's, it's getting late out there, man. You have to send these people home so they can get something to eat, right? And you would think that, you know, Jesus would go, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, you're right, guys. We got to send them on because they've covered lots of miles and we need to get them back home. But instead, in verse 37, when they look around and they see that there's, I mean, when they look around, Jesus tells them, you need to give them something to eat. You need to give them something to eat. And this brings me to my second point. Not only when you're stirred by compassion should you lead others, but you should also speak for others. Speak for others. You see, the disciples had two suggestions once again. Either send the people home 
or crowdsource the money to buy them some food. And I want you to understand that the, what Jesus was asking of them from a, very human, from a very human need, basic standpoint, was seemingly like an insurmountable eye. Let me tell you why. Because, you know, now I know there are different versions of this story and different, and I know there's a version of this story in every gospel, but for the sake of simplicity, I'm just going to stay right here in Mark's gospel. But when you look at what they're saying, right, he's asking this question in verse 37. He says, and they said to him, shall we spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? So what he's, what he's basically saying is this, what the disciples are really saying is this, should we spend half a year's salary or a year's salary to feed everybody this one time, right? And so really the question becomes, where are we going to get the money, Jesus? <laughs> that's really the question that's going through their minds. Where are we going to get the money, Jesus? But now Jesus sees that the people have come from the countryside and follow him to be taught. They obviously want to be led. They obviously have, they obviously have a passion to hear something and be led by someone and so Jesus tells the, tells the disciples, you need to feed them. You need to give them something to eat. Now, as the people of God, we always want to speak up for those who haven't been heard or who have been ignored. And yes, there are many issues that we can tackle as a local church, that can but we know we can't tackle them all. However, we must be actively involved in helping, those, helping to aid those in our community with whatever capacity that we have by the grace of God. Amen? And so let me, let me spell it out for you. I don't want to be very, I don't want to be, um, I don't want to talk lofty on this. You see, whether the, whether the issue is poverty, whether it's racism, whether it's equality or injustice, the church must be a part of the solution, and the gospel of Jesus Christ must be at the center of our response. Amen? Now, here's the other part of this. When we do this, we need to know that we're speaking up for those who, are those who, who need to be spoken for. In fact, in Proverbs 31.9, it tells us this. It says, open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. Once again, that's Proverbs 31, verse 9. But we know that this task is easier said than done. And sometimes it's easier for us to forget among ourselves who are the most needy. Let me explain, what, let me explain that with an illustration. Most of you guys are probably familiar with Colonel, Colonel Holland Sanders. If you don't know the name, you know his chicken. You've probably eaten a lot of it. Um, he's the founder of KFC. Um, once... One day, Colonel Harlan Sanders was on, a, was on an airplane flight, and it just happens that he got on a flight with a screaming baby. And so this mother, so a mother and a flight attendant spent a good majority of the flight trying to, trying to basically do every trick in the book they could to calm down and, make the, and, and try to make the infant calm down. Well, eventually, Colonel Sanders says, um, do you mind if I take the child and see the child? And they said, of course, you can. It's okay. So they've tried everything in the book. And so Colonel Sanders stands there at the airplane, I mean, in the middle of the plane, and he rocks the child to sleep, right? Well, then, as he rocks the child to sleep, of course, you can imagine a sigh of relief goes over the most of the plane who can hear this screaming baby. And so toward the end of the flight, someone, someone taps Colonel Sanders on the shoulder and says, listen, thank you for what you did for us. And then Colonel Sanders turns back around, looks at him and says, I didn't do it for you. I did it for the baby. I did it for the baby. You know, sometimes we always think that, you know, a lot of our comfort is the most thing that we should be most focused on. But there was a baby that needed to be soothed because if you soothe the baby, you, you calm the noise, right? But most of us will just be like, just shut the baby up, right? <laughs> because I want to enjoy my flight, right? But that's the point. The point was they were focused more so on who they are and what they wanted and what they needed more so than what the other person needed. And so we don't want to be people who, who make that assumption and make that mistake. You see, because sometimes it's hard to understand the plight of people who are not like ourselves. But this, should not, but this shouldn't make us shrink back and be defensive. This should, this should move us to better understand where people are coming from. Now, to understand the issues are not just, a point, not just from your point of view, but from the other people's point of view. And so no matter what the, what the situation is and whatever, whatever ills may be going on, that people may be divided, I encourage you to engage in healthy dialogue. Learn to, learn to dialogue with people. And 
learn to dialogue with people in a very healthy way. You need to be in a way where people, where you're able to share what you believe and the other person is able to share what you believe. And you basically can, that's one thing we've lost in our society is this idea that you can share what you believe and I can share what I believe and we not have to go into World War III, all right? You see, it's almost this idea of, listen, if you don't agree with me, you just gotta shut up because you're not. You don't, because you don't agree with me, you shouldn't say anything, all right? Um, if you're a Christian, you should be well aware of this by now, or you will be aware of it at some point very soon. Um, but we should be people who want to have healthy dialogue. And listen, I know, that the, what I'm, I know that sometimes these things can be very touchy, and they can cause us to shrink back and not even want to address the issues. But listen, guys, let me tell you. Um, for instance, and I'm, I'm, I'll, make this, I'm gonna make this, um, I'll make this example, and I'm going to move on. But like, for instance, guys, when it comes to racism, guys, we got to have conversations, because let me tell you, racism doesn't just get better by us sitting in a room and not talking about it, right? Y'all got that, guys? You know, when I have a lesson, when, when, when if you're married, you know what, sitting in a room together, eating dinner together, and never addressing the problem is not going to solve your problem, now is it? Eventually, you got to start talking about the problem. Now, here's the problem. You know that the last time you talked about the problem, you got into an argument. You got into a fight. You realize you, how much you disagree. You realize how much you hate that person or whatever the case may be, right? But here's the problem, guys. Eventually, we have to learn that if we're going to get somewhere, we've got to have healthy dialogue, right? And the reason why I'm saying this, because I know you're thinking, like, where's Reggie going with this? Here's the thing. If you're going to speak up for people who have needs, you've got to understand their needs. You've got to understand their needs. Now, here's the thing. There are things in this universe that I don't totally, like there are people who I can't quite sympathize with, but I want to. I want to better understand. Now, now here's the thing, I'm not saying understand in a sense of way to agree and affirm everything that they do, but I want to better understand where they're coming from so I'm able to better help them so they, don't, so they understand that I'm trying to figure out who they are as well as they figure out who I am. But you gotta have conversations to get there. I can't speak up for anybody who I don't understand you can't do that. You know, it'd be nice if I could just read a few books and just tell you, I know everything there is to know about homelessness. But let me tell you, you know somebody who could speak up for homelessness? Alan Tisdale. Alan's job is to go out into the woods and engage homeless people where they are. Did y'all catch that? So now if there's anybody who's able to engage and speak up for him, it's him, all right? But now, I can trust that because I know he's engaged when he knows where they're coming from and he understands their plight. But, you all, but we can't expect that things change in our world if we don't have conversation about it. Now listen, there may be people who are not ready to have those conversations. I understand. But for those of you who may be ready, have those conversations. Because your brothers and sisters, no matter what, no matter what the case may be, whether it's poverty, whether it's racism, whether it's injustice, there are people on the other side who want to dialogue and don't want to fight you. They just want to better understand. Now, for those who want to fight, that's a whole other thing. We don't want to get into that. Although we're going to have to, we have to address it at some point, but we, need to, but we want to make sure that we have healthy dialogues so that we're able to speak up for people who need to be spoken for. Amen? All right, I'm done with that diatribe. I'm going on, I promise. All right? All right, so with that being said, sometimes speaking up requires us to go beyond comfort to accomplish a greater goal. Um, for those of you who may be fantasy football buffs, you'll probably notice, well, no, you probably won't notice because he's, he's retired, but Anquan Bolden. How many of you guys are familiar with that name, Anquan Bolden? He was a route receiver for the 49ers, for the Ravens, for, well, for the Buffalo Bills. Well, that actually didn't happen because this year he signed a contract with the Buffalo Bills in August, and then in September he decided to retire. Now the question becomes, why did he retire? Because of old age? No, not necessarily, although he was a little on the older side. He probably wouldn't have scored you that many fantasy points, but that's okay. Um, but the reason why he retired was because he decided that he would take his money and his efforts and everything he, he would take into um, essentially advocating for injustice, all right? Now, what he did, so, so think about, I want you to think about this, guys. This man had signed a one-year one deal with the Buffalo Bills this year for $2.75 million with incentives in two weeks. After he signed the deal, he retired. Now the question becomes, what makes a man decide all of a sudden 
to basically drop $3 million and go into retirement, right? Well, it's funny you should ask. Two weeks, about two weeks after he signed the deal, um, an event went on in Charlottesville, Virginia. Anybody familiar with this event? There were plenty of um, protests and marches in Charlottesville, Virginia by white supremacists, right? And he saw that. Now, he's, now he only really saw that, but he saw other things, like he saw certain injustices. He saw people being killed. He saw all sorts of things, and he decided that that was the last straw and that he would spend most of his time doing advocacy and, 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 edu and, and creating ed educational opportunities. Now, let me quote him so I'm, not, so I'm not butchering what he tried to accomplish. It says, when, he was, when, they, when, they, um, when people asked him why he decided to retire, he said, the core, the core values taught in football are some of the most important that you learn in life. To always be there for the next guy um, next to you and not let your fellow man down. You do whatever it takes to make sure your brother is okay. Football has afforded me a platform throughout my career to have a greater impact on my, on, on my humanitarian work. At this time, I feel drawn to make, the lar to, take, I mean, to make the larger fight for human rights a priority. My life's purpose is bigger than football. So this man saw that there was a need for him to, to be an advocate and speak up for those whom he feel they needed to be spoken for. And rather than just simply stay in the league and take his off season and speak, he decided to retire and devote the rest of his life to speaking up for other people. Think about that. And so what am I getting at? Just like if we don't lead, other people will lead. If the church doesn't speak up for people, other people will begin to speak for them. Other people will begin to speak for them. Now, as we continue to move on through the passage, we see that Jesus has already, has already told the disciples that they need to feed, that they need to feed people, that they need to find a way to feed people. And so Jesus looks up and he asks a question. He says, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said they had two, and, and I mean, they had um, five and two fish. And he commands them to sit down by the groups on the green grass. Now, one of the things when we look at it, when I look up in ministry, there's a, there's a few set of rules that I try to live by, and I think this is, these are very important, especially as I look at this passage, is that Jesus is one of these people who looked at what he had, and he decided, you know, he would work whatever he had. Well, we have that same, I have the same kind of mindset when it comes to ministry, and let me share it with you. You see, when it comes to accomplishing ministry, I know, that I, have, I know that I have a few things at, at, my, at my utilization here. Um, there are people, there's time, and there's resources, right? There are times when you have, you, when you have a few resources, but not a lot of time, not a lot of people. There are times you have a lot of people, but not a lot of resources and not a lot of time. That's pretty much where Southside usually is, but that's another story. Um, but, but here's the thing, guys. No matter what plans you try to make, no matter what ministry we try to do, there is one other thing, there's one other ingredient, there's one other element that you, I always have to be reminded needs to be in, in executing ministry, and that is faith. Faith, right? No matter what type of resources I have, no matter what time I have, no matter the people I have, I have to depend on God, to trust in God to help me accomplish what I can't do, okay? I have to do that. Now, the reality, and I want you to understand that when they, as Jesus is making them think about this thing, this is, seems like a very insurmountable thing. You see, first of all, it's late in the evening. They live in a rural setting. Think of a town like Anguilla, Mississippi, right? Everything closes probably before five, right? So you can't just run down the street, go to the local market and pick up everything and then come back and feed everybody because it's late in the day. Well, then you got 500 plus people, hungry people, wandering through the countryside. Well, then you, got a year, you need a year worth of salary to feed them once, and all you got is two fish and five loaves. And when you look at the situation in human terms, it sounds like there's going to be some rumbling tummies for the rest of the night. But here's the thing we have to remember. A quote from Warren Wiersbe, the first step is not to measure out our resources, but to determine God's will and trust him to meet the need. And so this brings me to my third point. Not only 
when, we, when we're stirred by compassion, should we lead people? Not only when we're stirred by compassion, should we speak up for people, but we should also serve people. We should serve people. You see, despite the human deficit, God wants his people to serve. And that's what Jesus did. He served. He served people. And, any, and, and, where, did he, and where did the miracle happen? It happened in Jesus' hands. When Jesus took the, took the fish and the loaves, right, it said, the scripture says that he took it, he broke it, he blessed it, right, and then he began to serve. Now here's the thing, once again, when you look at it from a basic human standpoint, you see that he should run out really, really fast, right? Two fish, five loaves, right? We've all heard this story a million and one times, but the reality is this, the miracle happens in God's hands. When you ask yourself the question, what can, G, what can God do with a little bit? He can do a lot with a little bit. He can do a lot with a little bit. And here's the, and here's the issue, guys. The issue is not about your human effort. Don't get me wrong, God honors your effort. For whatever you do to try to make his kingdom better, God honors your effort. But guess what? Remember, I said that there, remember in ministry, I said that there are three things that I always worry about, right? But I have to remember, always remember the fourth thing, right? I have time, I have people, I have resources, right? But never, ever, ever forget faith. No matter how much money you have, no matter how many people you have on board, no matter how much time you have, if you don't, if, if you don't have the element of faith there, it's all for nothing. Remember, no matter how much human effort they had met, they had done, it wasn't going to get them to the, it wasn't going to get them to the end. But now when they trusted God with, with what little they had, oh, it made the biggest difference in the world, right? Right? I mean, think about it. Name how many people do you know who can turn two fish and five loaves to a 5,000 person fish fry? Tell me that, <laughs> right? And I don't mean because they went to the market either. I mean, listen, guys, the, listen, I want you to understand the simplicity but beauty of the miracle that God performed. God took the little that they had and he began to give it out. And not only did he begin to give it out, but it says that they, it wasn't like he gave them like a little cracker and they went, mmm, feels good. No, it says that when they ate, they were satisfied. Forgive me, my voice is cracking. I'm, I'm a little sick here, okay? So if you see me sweating, that's because I'm sick, okay, guys? But don't worry about this. Just listen to what I'm saying, okay? Jesus takes our little and makes it a lot. There are some of us in here who struggle to make ends meet. Be reminded that God takes your little and he makes it a lot. There are some of you in here who think that you're not as skilled as some of the people sitting next to you. Jesus says, no, no, no. Serve with your little, because I'm going to make your little a lot, right? For some of you, you're wondering if God can use you and do anything with you. I'm a testimony that he can. God can take your little and make a lot out of it, but it requires faith. It requires faith from you. Don't ever miss the idea of serving others. Serving others is where you're blessed. Don't forget to serve other people. Let me tell you, it's, you know, here's the biggest test of when you learn how to serve, guys. It's how you treat your waitresses and your waiters. Let me tell you why. Because some of us sit in restaurants, we burn up the world, and we spin up, our, we spin up and do all we can, and then we treat the waiter like they don't go home to anybody. Right? You know, if they bring your drink one minute too late, you're, you're already docking it off their tips. Right? Huh? And so my point is this, guys. When you learn how to serve, you realize that, and, the, and here's the other thing, and let me quote Jesus. Jesus tells us that the greatest people in the kingdom are those who serve. So if you can't learn how to serve people, you will never be useful in the kingdom of God. Never. If your only inclination is, inclination is that you should lead Guess what your first lesson is in, in humility? Learning how to serve other people. 
And if you can't learn how to serve other people, you'll never become great in the kingdom of God. Jesus himself, right, in John 20, right, when Jesus, getting ready to go to the cross, he takes, after the meal, he takes off his, his, um, his outer robe, right? And the first thing he does is he does what? He gets down, he ties a towel across his waist, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet, and they go, Jesus, what are you doing? You know, think about it. Through all these things, Peter had already said, you're the Christ, you're the Christos, you're the, the son of the living God. Why are you washing my feet? And Jesus makes it plain. He says, listen, because if I don't wash your feet, if I don't serve you, you can't be mine. If I can't serve you, you can't be my people. And so you have to learn how to have compassion. And listen, there is one thing to have compassion and feel for people. There's a whole nother aspect when you decide to act upon your compassion. And that's what I'm asking you to do today. Act upon the compassion that God has given you. You see, because once again, the miracle doesn't take place in your hands. The miracle takes place in God's hands when you give him what little you have and allow him to do the greater work. Amen? And so what I want to leave you, what I want to leave you with this is this. If the church doesn't serve people with what it has, we'll miss the opportunity to see God's will at work in our lives and in the, work of, in the, in the lives of those around us. We have to learn to serve people. And here's the other thing. When we see people... Another, this is a question you have to ask yourself. When you see people and when you see problems in the church, do you see them or what do you see issues? Do you see them as problems or do you see their potential? You see, because here's the thing. There's a lot of things that go on in churches and in the world. When you see them, all you think about is the problems that come up when you try to address it. But here's the other part. Jesus' followers should not only see the problems, we should see the potential and what there is to be there. You know? If I look at a person and all I see is the issues they have, then I'm doing that person disservice because guess what? Jesus, when he saw me, he didn't just see the issues I had. He saw the potential in me. He saw the potential in me. And that's what he did for all of you. If God only stopped at just writing off a list of your problems and telling you why he couldn't evangelize to you and why he couldn't reach out to you and why he couldn't die for you, you would never have a piece of heaven. Right? But luckily, you know what God saw? God saw the potential of who you could be through his death, through his atonement, through his sacrifice, who you could be and where you could have access and where you could be in, the, in eternity. Amen? And I'm so thankful that he does because if we look at people and all we see is their problems, we'll never, ever, ever, ever be good at outreach. We'll never, ever be good at evangelize, we'll never be good at discipleship, we'll never be good at anything. We have to learn that despite people's problems, we have to see the potential in who they can be. And we have to work in love and in grace to try to work to make sure that the Lord gets them to where they want to be. Amen? And so let me leave you with this. You can, you can stand. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing. As we come to the end of the story, we see the miracle where Jesus has basically not only, not, not only made this extending, this extending of this fish, these fishes and loaves extend to feed over 5,000 plus people, but not only this, here's the goodness of God. It wasn't just the extension of all that. It wasn't just enough. It was more than enough. It was more than they could ever ask for. The scripture tells us at the end of that story, it says that there were 12 baskets left, right? Twelve baskets left. Plenty more where that came from. Amen? But now here's, here's where I want our compassion to lead us, but here's where I don't want our compassion to get to. You see, let me explain. You see, I want the compassion that we all have for people to move us and stir us to do good deeds and do great, char- and do great charity and do acts for the Lord for his glory. Amen? But let me tell you, but here's the problem that we have sometimes And here's the problem with those of you who enjoy the blessings of what the Lord gives. A lot of times, just like the crowd that followed Jesus out into the countryside, we enjoyed the idea of the gifts more than we enjoyed the idea of the giver. You see, the people were were basically wanting to, seemingly they wanted to be entertained. They followed Jesus all out into the countryside with the hopes of seeing him do another miracle, seeing him heal another person, right? And And it was amazing, and it was great to see, right? 
But listen, we can never, ever miss the point of why Jesus does miracles. Jesus does miracles to point us to the Father, to show us who he is and how his kingdom works and what God has in store for those who trust in him. We need to be amazed and be thankful for the gifts, but never, ever, ever, ever forget the giver of the gifts. Everything that Jesus, that God does, is designed to point, to point us back to him. And that's the point of it. You see, G, you see, when Jesus does these miracles, he wants us to get the message spiritually, not just have our physical needs met. A lot of us want to follow Jesus because we know that Jesus has blessings. But now here's the other thing. Jesus is more so folk will, will take care of your needs, but he is more interested in your spiritual maturity and blessing. Amen? So don't ever forget that. And as we teach, we need to speak up for people. We need to make sure that people don't get enamored with the fact that we're serving them and we're speaking up for them, not just for the fact that we're doing it. We need to be careful to say, listen, I'm doing this. I'm speaking up for you. I'm trying to do the best I can to teach. I'm doing the best I can to serve you because I want to point you to someone who loved me because, I mean, who loved me before I, before I loved him. Amen. You know, in 1 John 4, 19, it tells us that we love him because he what? He first loved us. And that's the point. Jesus does miracles to point us back to the Father. And how we... And, and, he showed that love by looking down at man, seeing, compa- means seeing our plight, being compassionate enough to spring into action and die for our sins. God had enough passion, compassion, to be stirred to step into action to save us. Will you be stirred into action to serve, lead, and teach others? Amen? Dear Lord, thank you for this time we've had. Lord, I pray that the message went over. God, I pray that um, there's simplicity, God, and understanding, God, that I know that story has been told and done in Sunday school thousands of times, God, but I pray that someone found a, a fresh new outlook, God, and they're able to look and, and, and know your word even more, um, even more intimately. God, I pray that the compassion that we have upon people will not, just, will, will not just stop at our feelings, but God, that it would move us to action, that we would see the example of Jesus and that we would follow suit, God, that we would lead God, lead our families, lead our churches, lead our people, God, that we would, that we would um, God, that we would, we would speak up for those who need to be spoken for, God, when the, when the opportunities arise. But God, more than anything, God, that we would serve you, God, even when it feels uncomfortable. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would um, bless each and every one of these people, God, that they would come to know you deeply. And, God, if there's someone who has not given their life to you, God, they don't understand the compassion that you showed to come, to come down from heaven, to down a cross for our sins, God, I pray that that person would come to know you intimately right now. And we pray that this be done in your son Jesus' name. Amen.